exactly. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you've been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Father, I pray that you would show us here this morning that your steadfast love is indeed better than life, that it's better than everything, anything this life has to offer. Father, I ask you to bring our souls, God, to see in a new way. Uh, bring our, our hearts to grab on to your truth in a way that we really experience you. And that um, what happens here in Psalm 63 would happen in us. God, please bring that about. Holy Spirit, we look to you, we, we trust you, we ask you to show us the power and glory of God. In Christ's name, amen. You'll notice the heading in uh, Psalm 63. Remember, we had one of these last week. Last week in Psalm 51, we were able to pinpoint right exactly, you know, that this psalm was written after Nathan the prophet confronted David, you know, after he had sinned with Bathsheba. We don't, we don't have that much information this time, uh, but look at what we do have. It says a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah, and so... Most people um, say, okay, it's either one of two things, okay? So this psalm was either written when David was running for his life from King Saul. Remember that? The beginning of his life, uh, King Saul turns against him, hunts him down, sends his army after him. He's got to hide in the caves. He escapes death numerous times. And so some people attribute this psalm to that time when he is hiding from Saul in the wilderness, okay? Maybe a better a better one, uh, so the, the alternative one that I, I think maybe even have a little more support for is when David's been king for a long time toward the end of his life and his son Absalom turns on him and actually has a military coup against David and, and succeeds for a little bit. He runs him out of Jerusalem and David has to flee into the wilderness uh, with a, kind of a small army and, uh, and Absalom takes over the throne in Jerusalem for a short time. Now, the reason a lot of people think it's that one is because down in verse 11 when it says, but the king shall rejoice in God. We think David's talking about himself there. All who swear by him shall exult for the mouth of liars shall be stopped. Um, if he refers to himself as the king, he probably wouldn't do that when he was still not king. Does that make sense? So, so a lot of people think it's later in his life when Absalom ran him out of Jerusalem that this psalm occurs. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important just from the standpoint of either way, whichever way you go with that, this psalm is attributed to a time in David's life that's going really badly. Like he's being hunted down either by Saul or by Absalom. Either way is bad. Whether you're hunted by your enemy or your son, I actually think the son is worse, you know. I mean, it, it's bad. He, he's, he's in need. He is, he is being hunted. He's, people are trying to kill him. So this is a tough time in David's life. And, and, the, and the neat thing is, is that instead of simply praying, God, deliver me physically, you know, restore back my, my stuff and my throne. And instead of praying that, David, in this psalm, comes up and, and, and says, listen, the love of God, the steadfast love of God 
is better than life. And so that's why, that's why either way you go, the, the context is really important because this is a guy who's in the wilderness and, and instead of pray, God praying for him to preserve his life, what he prays is, God, I know that there's something better than my life, better than the throne, better than my health, better than my circumstances. There's, there's something better than life. Now, it starts out in verse one saying, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. One of the really cool things about this passage is that we are told here in Psalm 63 and demonstrated to us that it is possible to see the glory of God in such a way that you become thirsty for God. Now, now think about thirsty. What a great image, okay? Thirsty, thirsty goes beyond being interested, right? So, so if you haven't drank anything in 12 hours, are you just interested in water? Like, are you like, hey, I wonder what's in this stuff, you know? I, I wonder how they make it. I wonder how they bottle it. I wonder, you know, how does it come? Are you just interested in water? You are not. You crave it, do you not? You want to drink it. You, 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 you're, you're, on a, you're on a mission to get it. In fact, I would say that if you, haven't, if you haven't had water in 12 hours, nobody who hasn't had water in 12 hours is too busy to drink. Have you, have you noticed that? Like, if you've just, you haven't had a chance to drink anything all day, anything at all, water, tea, pop, nothing, and, and it's been like 12 hours, nobody passes by the water fountain saying, I'm just too busy to stop. You know, you don't do that. I mean, you, it's an all-consuming thing. And in fact, the, the, the more you go without water, the more of an all-consuming thing it becomes in your mind. You, you can't think about anything else but drinking. That's the image that David applies to his desire for God. He says, that's what my desire for God is. He says, I thirst for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and a weary land where there's no water. David said, that's the way I feel about God. That, that's the kind of craving I have for God. Now, now one of the, one of the great implications of that that I think we need to hear the psalmist talk this way is because I think most people, most everybody is convinced that corn dogs and milkshakes satisfy your physical appetite. Peggy is super glad about that, that people are convinced of that, right? Because they come, they come by Sonic and they buy them, you know? We're all convinced of that. There's nobody in here that would argue that chocolate chip cookies satisfy you know, your soul or I don't know, whatever that is inside of you, right? Satisfy your craving. None of us are going to argue uh, the world is convinced that money and fancy cars and big houses and exotic vacations, that that does something inside of you, that it, that it fills you up in some way. You know, having a beautiful woman, being a beautiful woman, our, our world seems to be consumed with, with the con- conviction that that will exhilarate their soul. But here's what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying that it's possible to delight in God in such a way that you actually thirst for Him. That, that, that your heart faints for Him, your flesh faints for Him, that you, you've got to have Him, okay? That, that, that's what he's telling us here, that it is possible to thirst for God to that degree. Now, the interesting thing about using the metaphor of thirst is the psalmist doesn't use it exactly like thirsting for water, okay? So if you're thirsty for water and you haven't drank in 12 hours and someone gives you a gallon of water and you, ga- you down the whole gallon, at the end of downing that gallon, are you still thirsty? I think most people would say, no, I don't want any more water, right? But you know what's interesting about the way the Bible talks about a thirst for God? The Bible talks about a thirst for God in the sense that it not only, it not only satisfies your thirst, but then it makes you more thirsty for him. So let me give you a couple examples of that. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 in the, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Okay, so on the one hand, he says, Happy, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But then he says, Those same people are going to be satisfied. Well, if they're satisfied, then they, they're not thirsty anymore, right? 
so they're not blessed anymore. <laughs> well, no, no, that's actually not the way it works. Okay, so, so the way it works with God is the more you thirsty you are for God, the more he satisfies you, the more he th- satisfies you, the greater your thirst is, the greater your thirst is, the more he satisfies you. So it continues on. In John chapter 4, when Jesus is talking to a woman at the well, he describes it in this way. Okay, so Jesus says in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water, he's talking about physical water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. Okay, now, now, did Jesus just contradict himself? In Matthew, he says, blessed are those who thirst. In Psalm 63, David says, I thirst for you, God. And now he says, if, if I give you this water, you're never going to be thirsty again. Well, but notice how that happens. Keep reading here, okay? He says in verse 14, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Why is he, never th- why, why is he not thirst again? Because God puts in him a spring that continually flows, all right? So the, the analogy would be is if somehow I could get this belt, and on this belt I would have an endless supply, an ever-replenishing supply of Gatorade and of Diet Coke and of iced tea and of Aquafina and of coffee. I, I don't like coffee, but let's just put it in there because some of you do, right? And of uh, Dr. Pepper, right? So I got this belt, and it's an ever-replenishing, ever-increasing supply. All right, now, it could be said of me then that I would never be thirsty again, right? Now, am I saying I would never get thirsty? No, I'm saying I I will get thirsty, but what's going to happen when I get thirsty? I have an automatic way to always supply that thirst. And that's what Jesus says in John 4. He says, anybody who drinks this water, I'm going to put inside of you a means by which you'll be able to drink forever. All right, and so so that, that that's the way he describes thirst. So thirst is this, in Psalm, 67, Psalm 63, is an intense craving for God. Okay, being thirsty for God. It honors God for us to be thirsty for him. Being thirsty for God says, God, I need you. It says, God, you're necessary for life. You know, really, if, if you're not thirsty for God, there's something wrong with you, with your Christian life. Let's just say that. And, and we've all been there. Okay, we've all woken up in the morning and we didn't really want God. We, we didn't crave the scriptures. We didn't crave prayer. We didn't trust him. We didn't really want to be with him. We didn't want to really want to worship. How many times have you woken up on a Sunday morning? You just really didn't want to worship. You, you, didn't, you didn't want to go. You didn't want to fellowship with people. You didn't want to hear the Bible preach. You just, you didn't want that. Okay, that, that, that's not a good thing in your spiritual life. There ought to be an alarm that goes off when that happens because you ought to be thirsty for God. You ought not just want the minimum amount of God. And so what we find here in Psalm 63 is this beautiful point that it is possible for us to have an intense craving for God that surpasses our craving for food. That's what he says in verse 5. Or verse four, yeah, verse 5. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat, as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. It's, it's possible to have that kind of craving for God. And at the same time, as God meets that craving, then the craving becomes even more intense, and then he meets it again. It's almost like um, the other day, uh, my wife made this uh, peach cobbler stuff. And oh, it was... It was, I'd never had it before. She'd never made it before. And I came in and we had supper and um, I ate too much as I always do. And so I was not hungry after supper. I just uh, filled myself with too much food. And she asked me, she said, would you like a piece of this cobbler that I made? And I said, well, sure. You know, I've never turned down dessert in my life. And so, yes, I will. And so she made, got me a piece and, and I took one bite of that cobbler and the endorphins were going off like fireworks on the 4th of July in my mind. I mean, it was, it was, it was something else like it. It really, I mean, it was delicious, okay? 
Now, I wasn't hungry. I already told you that. But all of a sudden, I, 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 I eat a piece of that cobbler, and I'm completely satisfied. Like, that satisfied my taste buds. But what do you think happened next? I wanted some more. Yeah, that's right. I wanted more of it. So even though I wasn't hungry before, but now I became, now I, I tasted, and it was so good that now, now I hungered for it. And, and the more I ate, the more satisfied I was. And I ended up having several pieces, and then I hid the rest from the kids so they, they wouldn't finish it, and I got to eat it the next day as well. And, and the Bible is saying, listen, 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 oh, this is so good. The Bible is saying God will be like that to you. God can be like that to you. And so the, the first really encouraging, really great point that I want to I bring to you out of Psalm 63 is that it is possible to have a desire for God that is beyond the desire for anything else in this life. It is possible to be satisfied. Do, do you see how awesome that is? That it's possible. I, I just think a lot of people, I think the world does not know that. They don't know that. They don't know that it's possible to be satisfied in God in a way that goes beyond any of our physical desires. You know, it's almost like a door has been cracked open here in Psalm 63 and this light is blazing out. And, and, and like, it, it excites me to think that could, that could I want that. I want this right here. Most people don't even know that's possible. Most people, here's the way most people live their life. I can be satisfied by corn dogs and by milkshakes and by sex and by power and by money and by success and by acclaim and, 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 and they're running hard after that and all of it ultimately disappoints them. And what Psalm 63 does is crack the door open and say, don't you see, there's something even better. Like your soul could be thirsty for God and satisfied in a, far, in a way far greater than your flesh can be satisfied by anything in this world. And that's encouraging. And to me, what Psalm 63 does, it, it, hopefully, it, it, hopefully you're the type of person that you read that and you're like, okay, I want that. I want that. Like, I didn't know that was possible. So I, I really want that. I was talking to a lady the other day and um, uh, she was asking me about our mission trip and and she said, well, she has a friend. She has a, a close friend that lives in Greece. But she says, you know what? I'll, I'll never be able to, to go see him because, you know, the tickets to Europe are thousand, $2,000, $3,000. You know, I'll never be able to, to do that. And I said, well, not always. I said, you just got to know where to look. And I, I showed her how to get on Google Flights and hit that calendar option there. And I said, oh, oh, look here, look here. If you're willing to fly into this place right here, you know, and, and but you got to fly in on this date and you got to be back there on this date. And then if you'll fly to that place and then you'll take a connecting flight from there to here, you could actually get to your destination for around seven hundred dollars. And you could see all of a sudden like the light bulb came on, like like I don't know that she'll go. But but all of a sudden it was like, it's possible. Like before, I didn't even know it was possible. Like I, I did not think that I, that, that I could ever go see my friend. But now, hey, you know what? I, I was going to be like three thousand dollars. But Right there, if I leave on this date, if I come back on this date and I got a connecting flight and I got to meet, you know, it's actually possible. Psalm 63 ought to open the door for you. You know, you ought to say, man, it is possible for me to be satisfied beyond my wildest imagination, to be thrilled, to be caught up in ecstasy over God. That's possible. My soul could be enraptured by God. The second point that I think Psalm 63 tells us is that God himself is willing to give us himself, right? Now, there's a lot of things that, you know, you may want in life, you may desire, you may be thirsty for them. You know, there, there may be something here and there right now. You're so hungry for it, you're so thirsty for it, you can't think of anything else. But you know what's true? 
There's a lot of that stuff you'll never get. You know, as we get older, you know, you know what I find that we, we get thirsty for? Health. Right? We do. Man, we, we start, we just want, we want health. You know, we, we want it bad. We're thirsty for it. It consumes our minds. And we want our knees to work and our, our shoulders and, and our lungs and our heart. And we, we want to be able to live and go play. You know, but he, here's the reality. There's a point that's going to come for all of us where it's just not in the cards. I mean, we're just not going to have it. It's not going to happen. No matter how thirsty you are for it, it's just not going to happen. You, you may be thirsty for power, and you always wanted to build, you know, to this point and have influence, and, you know, and it's just not going to happen. You, you may want to be rich. You know, here's the reality. Here's the biblical reality. Not everybody's going to be rich. I mean, Jesus said the poor you'll have with you always. So what does that mean? That means somebody's got to be that poor, right? I mean, somebody, somebody's got to be that I mean, that's just, that's the reality for many of us. Is it where, you know, you may have dreams of this, you may want this, you may dream of financial security and being able to not worry about these things and go here and go there. It may not be true for you. It just may not be possible. It's not going to happen. There's a lot of folks that they desire a certain person or a relationship. Or I hear people all the time, man, I had like four of them this week. You know, I just want a marriage that's this way. You know, I just, I just want to have a marriage that, you know, I want to have a husband that does this. I want to have a wife that does this. I want to be having this. And, and, and you know what? I, help, I, I, I try. Here, here's what the scriptures say. Let's pray. Let's do this. But you know what's the reality? You just may not get that. I mean, that's just the reality. You know, you may want a, a spouse that's healthy. You may not have a spouse that's healthy. You know, you may want to go to Branson and don't, don't go to Branson. Well, you may want that, but it may just not happen. You know, you may not finish out that way. But, but here's, here's what Psalm 63 says. There is a craving. There is a thirst. There is a hunger that goes beyond all of those things. That, that God himself has the capacity to satisfy your soul beyond your imagination, beyond anything else in this life, and he is willing. I mean, that's phenomenal. That he's willing. Like that God himself will reveal himself to you. He will show himself to you. He will, he will let you experience his glory. He will join you to Jesus and share his riches with you. So not only is this possible, but God says, I will do it. For you. Verse 3. Here's, here's my verse. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Now, in the car, as we're going to school, you know, I find that my kids get a little robotic about this, this sort of thing. And don't we all, you know? If you've said a verse a thousand times, then, you know, I mean, the thousandth and one, you're tempted to just do it automatically, right? So sometimes what I'll do is I'll shake it up a bit, and we'll say, okay, guys, Psalm 63, 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, so, so my lips will praise you. And then I'll say, okay, guys, what, what's life there? What, 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 is, what is included in life there? And so they'll start naming stuff, you know. And man, what is included in life? Well, friends and family and chips and dip and Butterfinger mixes and sunsets over the lake and mountain biking on the trails and deer stands and 10-point bucks and fresh powder and freshly waxed skis and the fireplace and a good book and playing Legos with your little one and road trips and mountain passes and coral reefs and French pastries on an outdoor cafe overlooking the bay and life is a healthy body and legs that run and a mind that thinks clearly and arms that rock babies and frame houses and builds and creates and sees the fruit of your labor and all of those things and a million things more are included in that word life, aren't they? I mean, that's what David is saying. David is saying your steadfast love is better than all of those things. Are you seeing how that door, are we cracking it a little wider? You know, that first of all, it's possible for your soul to be overjoyed in desire for God. 
Like we didn't know that. We knew we knew we know what it's like to to you know be on a diet and want the butterfinger mix, right? We know what it's like to pace the floors, you know, just forget about it. Just go to bed. Just go to bed. You know, I can't do it. You know, I gotta have it. I mean, we know what that's like. But but here he cracks the door and says, You could have a desire for God that's that way. And now he goes even further and he says, God can satisfy you with himself in a way that's better things what's better than me see verses like this like i want to question every word right i'm like okay i gotta know that what is what does he mean by it's better than well i mean in the context verse five my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food my, my kids get a kick out of that because uh, you know, I talked. <laughs> we were talking about it this week. I told him, and I said, "Guys, I'm preaching on our psalm." You know, and I said, uh, I, "What do you think about this verse?" I said, "Our souls will be satisfied with fat." You know, and I think it was. I don't. I think it was Haven. Maybe Haven's like, "That's gross, Dad." You know, she doesn't. She doesn't like the fat on the steak. You know, and I said, "Well, in David's day, when when he says fat there, and then he follows it up with rich food, like that's like you're getting the feast." Like, you're getting the once-in-a-lifetime meal, you know? I mean, for them, the steak wasn't an option, you know? And so, so they're getting the, the prime rib with the fat on. Oh, man. And, and, and so what is, what is verse 5 saying? He's saying, my soul will be satisfied. God himself will satisfy me like that. And so what is better than me? Well, it must mean more satisfying, right? Well, when we look at the context where he says, my soul thirsts for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Well, what does it mean? Well, it must mean that God can refresh us. He can give us life. Verse 7 says, for you have been my help in the, sh- in the shadow of your wings. I will sing for joy. Well, it must be joy. It must mean help. It must mean protection. And so surely better than includes being more soul satisfied, more refreshed, more fulfilled, more life giving, more helpful, more security, more peace, more protection. It means there is a bigger payoff. That's what it means. Think that way. It means there's a bigger payoff, there's a greater reward, there's a greater it's worth it factor. That's what better than means. People are still texting me. I love the ones that they, they, uh, they call me or text me in the morning and they say, are we having church, Pastor? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. It's still on. We got power and the roads seem okay. They're like, all right, I'm not coming. You know, I'm like, well, what'd you call me for then, you know? You're not coming. Well, you need to know. You know. Anyway, I love people. I mean, they're really interesting, aren't they? You having it? I'm not coming. Okay. He's saying the payoff's bigger, the reward's greater. Now, don't make the mistake of thinking that that what he's saying here is that God can give me all the things of this life. In other words. It's not what he says. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life. Right? So a lot of people might think, well, what he's, what he's saying there is that, you know, God's going to pay my rent, and he's going to heal me from cancer and get me my dream job and protect me from terrorists, and that's better than life. That's not what he says. He says, God, your steadfast love, it's that word chesed, it's that loyal, covenantal, never-ending, never-stopping kindness of God toward us. Basically what he's saying is, God, a relationship with you is better than life. Okay? Now, here's where I'm at. I want to get there, okay? Honestly, whether you guys do or not, I still want to get there. Like, if all of you are like, I don't, we don't care, okay, I'm t- I still want to get there. Like, I want to get to Psalm 63. I want that in my life, okay? So, so why? 
Let me give you three reasons. Don't you want to be satisfied? Like, like some people look at Christianity and they think that there should be no self-interest in it. You're not reading your Bible. I mean, Jesus baits us with this all the time. He just said you shouldn't pursue your interest in junk, in idols. Should you pursue it in him? Absolutely. Is he worth it? Totally. And so, number one, why should we pursue this? Thirsting after God, hungering for God, being satisfied by God. Why should we, why should we do that? Because, number one, I want to be joyful. I want to be refreshed. I, I want my soul to leap for joy in excitement over God. If that is possible, and Psalm 63 says it is, I want it. Number two, because it glorifies him. I, I, I tried to think of a way to say this different than John Piper or better than John Piper, but I don't think anybody ever has. The dude built his entire 33 ministry, 33-year ministry on this, this one phrase that I'm about to tell you. He said this. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And pretty much everything he did in his ministry came back to that. And he got it from C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis got it from Jonathan Edwards. And some argue Jonathan Edwards got it from Augustine. I don't know. But, but anyway, he's right. Why should you do it, number two? Because there's nothing that glorifies God more than you being satisfied in him. Bonnie, I wish you could have set me up. I'm going to talk about what you said further here in just a minute. But I wish you could have set me up with your testimony in every service, okay? Because let, let, let me, I want to ask Bonnie this question. Bonnie, was God glorified by the way your soul was stirred? Absolutely. What glorifies God? Robotic duty? Is that what glorifies him? Well, I showed up. There's a dadgum ice storm and nobody else came, but I'm here. So God better be pleased. He's not in that. But you know what he is pleased in? When you are hungry for him. When you're thirsty for him. When your soul leaps for joy because some guy sings a song of faith. He's glorified. And then number three, when we are satisfied in God in this way, we cut the legs out from under temptation. I don't know if you were here last week, but man, Psalm 51 is such an important psalm about confession and repentance and temptation. So what David says in Psalm 51, this was kind of my main point last week, was that when you confess your sin, you got to get to the root of it. I had a chance to practice this over and over again this week. I had like four or five different couples that were struggling with sin against each other and marriages and things like that. And, and so I would sit them down and I would say, okay, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell me your sin against your spouse. You know, we've all got it, so tell me your sin. And then when they did, I said, okay, now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to dig down deep and you tell me what is it about God that you hate, you despise, or you don't believe that's caused that sin. Well, everybody about falls out of their chair, you know, because everybody thinks it's not about me and God, it's about me and, you know, him or her, what, you know. It's always about somebody else, right? It's always about our action. It's never about that. It's absolutely always about the root of it is about me and God. And that's what, Psalm, that's what the psalmist said in Psalm 51. David said this, against you and you only have I sinned. And so what, what, what's he saying? Well, essentially what David is saying is every time I sin against God, it's because I'm not believing him. I don't want him. I don't trust him. I don't, I, 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 I don't yield to him. Okay, well, well here's where, where Psalm 63 fits in. Psalm 63 says, when you are overwhelmed with a desire for God, when you are overwhelmed with the goodness of God, when you are satisfied with God, Guess what? The world's got no appeal on you. 
Like, like it, the devil's going to keep pitching you sin. And then when you're satisfied with God, you're not hungry for it. You know what would have happened if you would have come up to me the other day when I'm eating my caramel peach cobbler that Emma made and you'd have had a can of Span in your hand. And you said, hey, hey, Jason, you want this, huh? You want this? How about eating some of this? No. What if you'd have put a ribbon around it? The nicest ribbon Woodward has to offer. Hey, huh? Huh? No, don't even bother. What if you'd have come with a song? A really good song, like a cool jingle, you know? You got to have spam. You did a little dance with it too, you know? You want spam, you know? I'm not tempted, you know? What if you'd have put... Let's, let's up it. What if you'd have put a $10 bill under the ribbon? Huh? Now the spam. I still don't want the spam. I got peach cobbler that, that sends fireworks off in your brain when you eat it. I don't want the spam. Now, there was a time I did want spam. I remember a backpacking trip where we did not pack enough food. And we got to about the fifth day. And I had to cut a rope off of my my backpack to hold my pants up because I'd lost so much weight and I remember cracking open that span and we heated over the fire and we all shared a can and it was good it really wasn't good but it was good that we had something to eat see that's the way temptation works if if you if you're not feasting on God and your soul is empty and you're unfulfilled things of this world start looking Good. Bonnie, you sing a song every once in a while. It's called um, Turn, My, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It goes something like, um, um, Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's exactly what happens, right? Like the more we behold his face, the more we're satisfied in him, the less appealing the things of the world are. Okay, so how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we get Psalm 63? How do we get it? Um, by faith, first of all. Okay, so we look at verse 2. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. So I need to see your power, God. I need to see your glory, God. I, I, I need to see that. How do we see it? Well, we see it by faith, okay? So here's what the Bible says about itself. The Bible says it reveals God to us. It reveals who he is. It reveals his power. It reveals his glory. And so we need to receive it by faith, all right? But let's get real practical here. Let, let's, 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 let's copy David. Okay, look at what David does. Look in verse 6. This is the most practical verse in this psalm. He says, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the, not, in the watches of the night. All right, so he's telling us what he's doing. Okay? The first thing he says is, When I remember you on my bed. Now, the word remember just simply means to recall. It means to, uh, to uh, pull up out of the archives of your mind some truth that you know and then to respond accordingly. Okay, it's both remembering and responding. It has both those connotations to it. So, so next time we have an ice storm, next time the, 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 the weather gets on and says we're going to have ice, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to park all of our cars on the other side of the driveway, maybe the street, I'm not sure. But, but you know why? Because I will remember this morning. Okay, so when I come out this morning, I got this huge branch. It was really cool. It fell right in between Addie's car and Haddon's car. And it did like a flip so that the, the log part was, was um, sticking toward the cars so the branches didn't even hit the cars. It was the most amazing thing ever. Like, I don't know, even know how it did it. So I drugged that thing out of the way, got it in the grass, and was real proud of myself. I left. This was before 6 a.m. 
And um, I get a call from Emma or a text like right before I was getting ready to preach the 830 service. She said, Addie's going to Oklahoma City. She's on her way there now. And she says, um, how do you expect Addie to get out of the driveway, honey? And I said, what do you mean? Can she not get her doors open? And she, she sends me a picture. Well, another one had fell, and it was like blocking her car. It was like covering her car, you know. It was hanging from it. And, and so anyway, one of, a couple guys from the church swung by, and I don't know. They got her out of there somehow anyway. But you know what I'm going to do next time? Remember. I, hopefully, right? I'm going to recall, and I'm going to act accordingly. But the really cool word in verse 6 is the word meditate, okay? Now, we were talking about meditation in our 5th and 6th grade boys on Wednesday night, and we were doing Psalm 1. We were teaching them Psalm 1. talks about meditating on your word day and night. And so I asked them, or Corey asked them, he said, what's meditation? And, of course, they're, they're all super comedians, you know, so they, like, cross their, you know, and they do this humming thing. And, you know, that's absolutely not it. In the Hebrew, here's what it means. It means to growl, to groan, to growl, to mutter, to speak to yourself over and over again. Okay? Everybody meditates when they're angry. Okay? I always tell people that, you know, they can't get meditation. I say, hey, just think what you do when you're angry. What do you do when you're angry? You walk around muttering to yourself, don't you? You're like, I can't believe that they did that. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe, you know, what, what that that's me, that I didn't do a good job, really, that I didn't do a good job. What do you, 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 you go over those truths over and over and over, and you mutter to yourself, right? Okay, well, meditation is the same thing, except not on your anger, but on the truth of God. And let me, let me just bait you a little bit here, okay? Let me read you two passages that are exactly the same in the benefits of meditation. Okay, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. His delight in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates, a couple things here, day and night. That's the when. Okay, and then it says he's like a tree planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in its season, its relief does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. I'd be really interested to know if there's someone in this room that does not want to prosper. I doubt there is. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Here's what Joshua tells, here's what God tells Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it when? Same as Psalm 1. Day and night, day and night, day and night. So that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Okay, so one of the other things that Psalm 63 teaches us is I need to be meditating. Let me ask you this. Do you meditate on the scriptures day and night? You know, this is one of those deals where, where it, actually, it actually gives us a time frame that we ought to do it. Do you do that? Now, you know why a lot of people don't do that? Because a lot of people, here's, what the, here's the way their mind works. They think, well, I already know that stuff. Okay, now, you're not understanding the way that we know God. Okay, so, so if you're just thinking, well, all meditation is, is drawing facts that I already know and thinking about it. Like, like, so a lot of people would think, there's no value in me waking up in the morning and saying, man, God, thank you for this day that you've made. This is the day you've made, and I rejoice in it. And God, I'm a sinner and I'm broken, and I'm a rebel against you, but God, you've been gracious to me, and you've abounded in mercy, and you've reached down and plucked me out of that, and you've saved me by the blood of the cross that you shed for me, and now you've given me your righteousness, and you've put your Holy Spirit inside of me, and there is a power that is within me that is beyond any power in this world, and God, you're bringing about a new kingdom and a new earth. Now, there's a lot of people that say, that there's no reason to do that. I already know all that. Okay. But to think of it that way neglects the truth that there is a mechanism inside of you, if you're a believer, that enables you to know and see and embrace and enjoy God 
that goes beyond your senses. Okay? So in, in Ephesians 1, when, when Paul talks about this, he, he, he prays for the church. And he, and he says in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, we had two doctors in the last service. I asked both of them. I asked them if they'd ever, like, had, you know, seen an open heart surgery and saw somebody's heart, and both of them had. And I asked him, I said, did you see any eyeballs on the heart? And they both answered, no, they did not, okay? So what, what does Paul mean when he talks about the eyes of your heart? The eyes of your heart. What, what he's talking about there is that, that there are, there, there's a way of seeing that goes beyond physical seeing. There's a, there's a way of knowing that goes beyond intellectual knowing. Okay, that, that's what he's saying there. All right, and so I, I think what I would ask Bonnie was, okay, Bonnie, did that man who sang, okay, you just gave this great testimony. I wish you'd have given that in all the services. That man who sang, did he give you knowledge about God that you didn't know before? He did not. So he didn't say some truth that you, that you didn't already know. Was there an instrument played that you had never heard before? Was there some kind of melody that was completely unique and different than anything you'd ever heard before? And yet, Bonnie's own testimony was that her soul was caught up in a joy that, that, that was almost beyond containing. Why? There's, there's, a, there's a mechanism inside of you that enables you to grab on to truth in fresh ways. I, I can't explain this to you. I, I, I really can't. I, like, I don't know how it works other than the Holy Spirit, okay? But, but, but here's what I know. I know that I can look back at my life, and I can remember. I, I can tell you I was praying at, at the prayer chapel at Southwest Baptist University when I read Philippians 4.13, and I came to feel loved by God and to be absolutely certain of his complete care for me to the point that I had no anxieties whatsoever when I read that verse. I can tell you that I walked along the beach at Port Aransas, Texas early in the morning as I was praying about my own call as a pastor and the mission of God. And I can tell you that as I meditated on Scripture and as I prayed to God that something got a hold of me and that within me welled up an excitement that almost burst, it felt like it was going to explode out of me about the mission of God to the world. I can tell you I was walking outside the, 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 those doors over there in front of the buses when I read Psalm 1611 one morning, and, and, and the, the reality that God could do just what Psalm 63 is saying, that He could ravish my soul in joy, hit me, to the point that it gripped me, that it will, I don't, it's never let go. Now, in none of those instances did I find out something new. But in all of those instances, something inside of me saw something fresh. That's the only way I know how to tell you that. And so, so why, why is David saying, when I remember you on my bed and I meditate on you in the watches of the night, that's what he's telling you to do. Man, I, I do not have sleep problems. I think God, I'm one of those few people that God has given me the unique ability to, once I go horizontal, it slides out, man. It's over. Like, I could do it right now. Like, if I laid down, you, you guys just have to leave because I'd be asleep. Um, I think he's given it to me to, to be on the mission field, actually, to go on. Because, you know, if you're going to go on a mission trip, if you're going to go on a conference with Pastor Gary or David Arney or one of those guys, man, you got to be able to endure sleeping through a chainsaw, you know. And so I think that's maybe why I've got that gift. But a lot of you guys, you, uh, you struggle to go to sleep. 
I'm sorry for that, but at the same time, you know what I would say? Do this. Do this. David is doing this. Joshua is doing this. Nine day. Psalm 1 is doing this. Day and night, day and night, day and night. Man, call up the... This is the reason why you ought to memorize Scripture. So you can just call it up. And you can, you can roll it around in your mind. And you can mutter about it. And you can think about it. And you can believe it. And you can embrace it over and over again. And you know what's going to happen as you do that? At some point? It's not, it's not going to be all the time. You can't do that to God. God's not a vending machine. You don't put your quarters in and get your, you know. So you can't control him. But I'm telling you, at some point, you know what he's going to do? He's going to do just what he did for Bonnie. He's going to grab your soul, and he's going to fill it with delight. And you're going to be thirsty for him. Ah, oh, it's good. You know, why doesn't this always happen? Well, I think it's probably a lot of reasons, but I, I go back to, why does it tell us that David's in the wilderness? You know, I, I, I wonder if when you're in the wilderness, I wonder if when you're the king and you just lost everything, you just lost your palace, you lost your throne, you lost m- most of your army, you lost all your bank account, Absalom just took it. I, I wonder if that helped David to be more satisfied in God. Because I, I think, here's what I think. I, I think, I think if I eat a box of Twinkies, I'm not very hungry for prime rib. Now, there's nothing wrong with a prime rib, but I just, I just ate a whole bunch of junk. And, and don't you think if, you, if we glut ourselves on social media or Netflix or dreaming about vacations or business opportunities or I mean again there's nothing wrong with those things in themselves but what I'm saying is if if we saturate our life with them do we not lose our appetite for the things of God I think that's why he says meditate day and night man guys I want this I want it Let's, let's ask God to give it God, please give us this. Please, um, God, give us a hunger for you. Give us a thirst for you. Give us a desire for you. God, give us great conviction that we can be fully satisfied in our souls by you. God, I, I pray that we might develop a life of meditating upon your truth, of beholding your power and glory, of remembering you in the watches of the night. God, meet us there. God, we are convinced there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. And so, Lord, we want you. In Jesus' name, amen.